to James chapter 2. Our whole service this morning has been geared towards encouraging us with the whole thought of helping people. And uh, this is my message this morning. I want to talk about helping, helping people. And uh, I'm going to preach just for half an hour, that's all. And uh, we'll conclude the service with some prayer at the end. And a special time of prayer at that. Uh, James chapter 2. And uh, picking up in verse 14. A lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, whether you're listening here or out, listening by on your iPod or wherever you are around the place, you probably know a lot of this already. But every now and then, we must be reminded of these things. Me, you, every one of us. James 2 verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action. Say action. Yeah, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I will show you my faith by what I do. Say it with me. I will show you my faith by what I do. It's always fun, this concept. Uh, You say to people, do you believe in prayer? Yes. Do you pray? No. Then you don't believe in prayer. Do you believe in reading the Bible? Yes. Do you read the Bible? No. Then you don't don't believe in reading the Bible. You know, you you, you, can follow it through. Do you believe in holiness? Yes. Are you holy? No. Then you don't believe in holiness. So sometimes it's better to ask people what they do and then we'll tell them what they believe. Ask me what I do and then you, and if I answer truthfully, all right, I'll tell you the truth. It's not golden balls. I'll tell you the truth. You ask, answer truthfully and then you can tell me what I really believe. So the question this morning is, do we believe in helping the poor? The answer will be yes. Do we help the poor? And, and that's, really, that's really where it's at. He says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Mm. And the scripture says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. We're saved by faith, but if it's real faith, then it'll have legs. It'll come out in some way. We'll start to to help people. 
In the same way, 25, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's talk this morning about helping people. What does the Bible have to say? A huge sense, I know that people will know a lot of this already, but let's have a reminder. Number one, when it comes to helping people, there is no opt-out box. In other words, you can't really say, well, it's, it's my ministry to I say, let's, I, I'm a preacher, or I am a singer, or I am a musician, or I am, I paint things, or I help with children, or, and other people can do the other stuff. You know, there's no burden on me to help people. Now, t- towards the end of my chat with you this morning, I'm going to bring some balance because we can't do everything that is true. So I'm going to balance this up a little bit later on. But it is clear that it is a manifestation of Christian, uh, I want to use the word salvation, but it's a bit maybe too um, theological. It's a manifestation of Christian life that as a result of receiving God's help, we go and help other people. And you can't be, and I have to say that for many years, in, in many, many ways, we were, and lots of churches were, churches that just really exist to, to love the Lord with all their heart, but they don't love their neighbor. And there has to be both things at work. And sometimes, let me tell you, it's much easier to love God than your neighbor. Because God's lovely, and your neighbor might be a pain in the behind. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello. I didn't mean that, that kind of neighbor. But isn't it? Isn't it much easier to love God than our neighbor? It's much easier to sing a song than to clear a garden, isn't it, fellas? It's much easier. And so, uh, and, and what can happen is you get churches that are very good in what we call social action. And they're always doing something. They are always being a blessing to the community. They're always raising funds and sending them uh, either locally or uh, abroad. And when you talk to them, I'm talking about some of them now, not all of them, but you talk to some of them, you find that the past of that, maybe he's not even saved. Maybe he's, maybe he's not even born again. But they're doing so much. But they, they've missed out on, on a central part of Christianity. Yeah, in, in the next street, you can have an all-singing, all-dancing church. They're worshipping and doing forward roles in the Holy Ghost. Everyone speaks in tongues and gives interpretations. There's healings and people shake, rattle and roll. But in such a church you'll find that no one's doing anything to help anybody outside of their four walls. And it's not that that God wants it like that. Of course, there are going to be churches 
that have a call from God in a certain area. A certain church might have a call to be a worshipping church. Another church might have a call to be a social action church. But there must be, in every worshipping church, there must be a social action program. And in every social action church, there must be a genuine love for God. So the characters of churches and people are going to be different. But it's not an opt-out thing. You can't tick a box. You know, like these wonderful things that where you tick it to say, please don't spam me. You know, one of those little boxes that you get on an online form, so small, you barely see it. And it's basically, unless you tick it, they're going to send you all sorts of stuff. And you opt out of it. I made a, a call this week and the, the computer told me before I spoke to anyone that I might be sent mail, you know, as a result of this call, you know. And if I didn't want to, I should tell the person I did. I believe me, I, I told her, I don't want no mail. Got quite enough. Thank you very much. Every week, my letterbox is just being crammed full of stuff that I pick up, take to the green bin and put out. It's like a, it's, I just wish they cut out the middleman. I almost want to say to the postman, just put all the mail in the green bin. Because that's where it's heading. You know, nearly all of it. Nearly all of it. There's no opt-out. You can't opt-out of helping people if you're going to be what God wants you to be. Uh, Just flick over in your Bible. You might need to use your... Because we're going to go to Amos here. So you might need to use your contents page. Don't be ashamed of that. But I want us to go to this verse in Amos 5. Where God talks, and Amos may not be a book that you are reading night and day and are familiar with. I think it's next to Joel. There it is. Amos chapter 5. And God talks about how he feels about, we'll call it the church, but of course it's ancient Israel. But it's their worship service. And God has something to say about their worship. Amos 5 and verse 21, God says this. Are you all there? He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. What a thing for God to say. Does someone need to calm him down? Is he losing control? He says, I hate your meetings. I despise them. I can't stand your assemblies when you come together. That's what God says. I cannot stand it. (laughs) Even though, verse 22, you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. You just think, is this really in the Bible? Who slipped this in here? I won't listen to the music of your harps. But... Verse 24, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Really, this is a parallel to the passage Lee read earlier to us from Isaiah, where God says you're fasting, fine, but while you're fasting, you're not doing anything to help anybody. So he says to them, He said, you should be loosing the cords of injustice and you should spend yourselves on the poor and the needy. Therefore, he says, I'm not interested in your fasting. I want you to help people. Now, 
Again, it's not one or the other. It's both. So there's other passages where God loves it when they bring their offerings. And he loves it when they play their harps. And he loves it when they sing. God demands worship from us. That's right, isn't it? Jesus said of the Father, he seeks worship. So it's not about taking worship out of it. It's about saying, are we sure that in our love for God, we're also loving our neighbor? Because it's a good deal easier to love God than our neighbor. So number one, there's no opt-out. You can't get out of this. You can't get out of this. God requires of you that you should help people who are less fortunate than you. Number two, it is true worship. True worship. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says this, if you give to the poor, you lend to their maker. More powerful is this passage in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Let me remind you of it because you'll know it very well. At the end of the age, Jesus separates people like someone separates the sheep from the goats. And Jesus says to one group of people, I want you to enter into my kingdom Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. When I was in trouble, you came and helped me. It's my paraphrase of it. I'm not looking at it just for the sake of time. And the people say, don't they, when did we do that? I don't remember clothing you, Lord. I don't remember feeding you, Lord. I don't remember comforting you, Lord. I don't remember helping you. I would have remembered if I had helped you. And Jesus says, don't you know that when you did it for the least of men and women, you did it for me. And so there is an expression of worship yesterday. We did not just clear someone's house. We cleared Jesus' house. We did it unto him. When we help someone, we're doing it as though it is him. And we must get this mentality in our head. We must get this mentality. Because if we do, we'll be motivated like never before. If I told you that next Saturday, we're going to go and help Jesus. He's just moved into Cherry Hinden. That's right, Jesus of Nazareth, he's just moved here. And he needs some help. We would, I hope, be queuing up to say, when can I come and help with this? I want to go help Jesus. There might be something in it for me. I want to go do that. I want to be there. If Jesus needs help, I want to go do it. And Jesus says, actually, I'm always needing help. And and I'm in the form of, 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 of needy people. That's, that's how I'm manifesting myself in this particular way. Go and help them. And if you help them, you do it for me. I find that very, very helpful. I'll tell you why. Because lots of people that I've helped and you've helped, they don't say thank you. And they don't appreciate it. Am I right? Yeah. Sometimes the very people I've helped more and more and more are people now who, who don't like me very much. Can you say amen? Yeah. People I've helped, they're the very people who betrayed me or 
suddenly, when I couldn't help them anymore, now I was their enemy because I stopped helping them. And so suddenly I'm their enemy. But you know what? If we will do it for him, if we will do it for him, we receive a reward from him. Not from people, you see. Some people are not so good. Some people are, are not, some people are wonderfully grateful. Of course. But lots of people aren't. But we do it for him. It's worship to help people in need. It's worship. Number three, it authenticates the gospel. There's something about helping people that opens the door to people's hearts. Maybe I shouldn't tell this story, so I'm going to have to change a couple of details because I'm telling it in public and on the net. So I'm changing a couple of details just for the sake of privacy and confidentiality. But I remember one of the clients to our center a long time ago, he, he uh, called the center and said, uh, could you come and help me please? And then I believe I'm right in saying that in the intermediate time between calling the center and the folks going over to go and help him, a friend of his, I think I'm getting this right, a friend of his said, don't you do that. They are just after your money. They're just after deceiving you. Don't you know they're from the church? You don't want to be ringing them. They're there after you for something. They're going to double cross you and you're going to wish that you had never, never called them. And I think I'm right in saying that that was advice he was given and if it was not given to him, I'm just trying to get the story right. If it was not given to him, he confessed it later that it was in his mind. Then they arrived and they helped him. He was still edgy about it. And then, noticing that the man was struggling, the team went out and they got a whole load of shopping, about 50 quid, I don't know, of shopping from Tesco. It's marvelous, by the way, being a a cap support worker, the club can't points themselves are marvelous. <laughs> no. And, uh, and, and, and then deposited that. And suddenly his whole spirit changed. Because it authenticated them. The problem sometimes with Christians has been, and this is true for me, true for you. Sometimes we bring good news, but we're not... But we're not good news. We have to be good news as well as bring good news. When Jesus Christ saw a crowd of hungry people over in Matthew 14 and verses 15 through 21. When he saw a crowd of hungry people, he fed them. He fed them. And he fed them both in the sense of filling their bellies and then he fed them the word. And there is just something wonderful about opening up people's hearts by feeding them first before we feed them with the word. Now, uh, for many people, we don't have to do that. When someone first preached to me, they didn't have to take me to a cafe and give me a bacon sandwich to, to get me to go. I had a spiritual hunger in me at the age of 19 and I went after Jesus. But lots of people aren't in that same, they're not under those same conditions. They come a little slower. They're on a bit more of a journey. Their needs, they've been betrayed. You understand that? People have been betrayed. 
People have been conned. They've been swizzed. They are fearful. And they need to know that not only do we have good news, but it's actually good news for us to be here. It's actually good news that we are in their lives. That's what it should be. So it authenticates the gospel. Very early on in the book of Acts, chapter 6, the early first verses, we discover the early church are trying to help some of the widows and they're trying to feed the poor very, very early on. In the scenario of fire coming into the room and people speaking in tongues, prophesying, miracles on the streets, a man jumps up. And, but do you know what? That wasn't all that was needed in their ministry. It wasn't just what was needed. What was also needed was Acts 6. Not just Acts 5 where people drop dead for lying. Not just Acts 4, where the place is shaken by the Holy Spirit. Not just Acts 3, where miracles happen in the street. Not just Acts 2, when the fire falls. Not just Acts 1, when Jesus ascends and there are angels. You also need Acts 6. They start feeding people. They start feeding people. So it authenticates the gospel. Luke chapter 10 that Lee read for us earlier on today. The man, the good Samaritan, came and helped the man out. Let me throw something in that I hope is not something so strange. The Bible doesn't say that when the man put the guy on the donkey and took him to the inn, it does not say, it does not say that he tucked a tract under his pillow. It doesn't say that he left him with the Gospel of John. It doesn't say that. Now, I know that no such book existed then. But you, you, you follow what I mean. He helped him because he loved God. Now, I am absolutely aware that what people really need is not to be set free from a debt to Curry's or to MasterCard. What they really need is to be set free from a debt they have to God. The debt of their uh, immoral and, and sinful living that needs to be forgiven. The payment is the blood of Jesus. So no one at all is denied. That is the primary purpose of it all. But do you know what? You can actually help people and they can despise you and not get saved. And that's okay as well in as much as you did what God required of you. We cannot open people's eyes. We cannot regenerate them in Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Can you say amen? But what we can do is we can be as God to them. We can be as Jesus to them. Which may, for many people, open the way for there to be the goodness of God in their life. It authenticates the gospel. You want to be good news? You have to take that. I, I've told the story many times before, but some may not have heard it of my precious dear friend Simon, best man at my wedding who would often go on social events. We, had, we were at Bible college in those days. We had no cars. I don't mean they took them away, but we didn't have them. And uh, every now and then a student would say, I'm going out into Retford. Ooh, Retford, glory. Ever heard of Retford? Okay, for the, for the sake of the tape, there was a silence in the room. And it was a way of getting out of the college. The, the college was in a village. And 
it was a way of getting out of the college, going into Reverend. We'd go and have a meal, you know, and, and it was like a special night out to just to get out of the college. It was six miles from civilization, really. And so we would often go, and my friend Simon would go, and he would have a starter dish in a restaurant. And then when everyone else was having their main courses, he got out, slipped himself out of the seat, went out into the street, and began to preach the gospel in the street. The reason he came to the meal was to preach the gospel in Retford. It wasn't for the, it wasn't for the banoffee pie. It wasn't for the, for, the, for the chips. It was so he could preach the gospel in the street. And so we'd all be in there eating away, feeling a bit guilty seeing the evangelist through the window. You know, thinking, well, God bless him. Uh, yes, um, I'd like another Coke, please. And he'd be out there preaching away. I remember once he had this fabulous jacket that said, jump for joy or something like that. Jesus is king, something like that. And... Um, uh, a big silvery grey jacket. Everyone remarked on it. He obviously had bought it at great cost. Uh, maybe I think maybe he had it specially made, a transfer put on the back. I don't know, but it was very precious to him. And I remember one night we finished a meal. I went out to kind of help him at the end, but I can't say I was hugely involved. I can't take any credit for this. But I remember being there with him, and I remember a kid saying to him, if you really loved me, you'd give me your jacket. And I saw him, I saw his eyes, he thought about it. Just for one second, just one second, but he thought about it. He stripped off the jacket and he gave it to the kid. And the kid went off with it. I don't know what happened to that kid. I don't know what happened to the jacket either. The jump for joy might have come off and the T-birds might have got stuck on. I have no idea what happened to it. But I know this, that for the rest of his, I don't know whether that guy came to the Lord, but I know for the rest of his life he'll remember that what the preacher said, he was living. So we've got to live it. We've got to live it. One more thought as we close. Number four, everyone has to play their part. Let me finish just with these simple thoughts. What does it mean to you, uh, and I'm not asking you to answer me, just in your head, what does it mean to you when we talk about the poor? Because the poor, is, is, obviously it's a vast group of people. For some people, the poor uh, don't live in the UK, they live somewhere, somewhere else. For other people, the poor, yeah, we know who they are. They live in a certain part of Cambridge or certain parts of the UK. For other people, the poor understand, well, they don't live anywhere. They have nowhere to live. That's who the poor are. And it depends on how you respond, you see, to when we say the poor as to who you think those people are. Because actually in this room, all three of the things I just mentioned, them being a long way away, them living in a certain bit of Cambridge, and other people who don't have anywhere to live at all, you're thinking like that. Now maybe you thought all three of those things. Or maybe you thought one of them, or you know, two of them. Everyone has to play their part. Everyone has to play their part. 
That, of course, it's impossible for a local church or for you as a person to be responsible to help the poor of the, of the whole world because you, you just couldn't do it. So God is not requiring of you to end the poverty in the world or even to end the poverty in the city or even to end the poverty in the street. What God requires is that we play our part. In these verses I've highlighted here, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 27, these are the verses about, and I'm, just, I'm not reading these just for the sake of time, but these are the verses about the body and every part must play its function and the eye cannot say to the nose, I don't need you, and the ear cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Every part is needed. It's like the story of, and this is such an old, old story. If you've been in church for longer than five years, you've heard this story before by any number of different preachers. The story of the young guy walking along the beach, the kid. He sees all the starfish that have been thrown on to the rock by the waves. And there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of starfish. It's a phenomenal scene. So the kid climbs onto the rock and he takes a starfish. It's only a little lad. Takes one of the starfish, probably scared of it. Walks it to the uh, water and throws it in. And then very slowly goes back, climbs onto the rock, picks out another starfish, walks it to to the water and throws it in. The story is told of a man walking along the beach who spots him. And just because, I don't know, the guy's a negative guy, a bad mood, I don't know what, but just says to the kid, you idiot, what different, look how many there are, thousand of them maybe, maybe more. What difference can you possibly make? And the little kid with a starfish in his hand says to the guy, all the difference in the world to that one. You can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. Here, in this fellowship, in this church, we believe we've received a call from God, a mandate from God to help a certain group of people, and we've highlighted it for the whole morning. That doesn't mean we have no responsibility to other things, but this is going to be our primary responsibility. We're going to help people who've been ensnared in debt. That's what God has called us to do. There are other churches, there's other churches around, and they have other ministries, wonderful ministries. Some help street people. Others, you you would go in, you'd see a, a thing on their wall, and they are fueling money all around the world. Everyone must play their part, you see. Everyone must play their part. In the early days of being in the ministry, I remember I never said no to anything. Uh, If someone said, will you help with this, will you help with that, I just wanted to help with everything. And I've had to learn being so old now, becoming so wise now. Sometimes you do have to say no. Can you say amen? You have to say no. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian it doesn't mean you're not living before God correctly. But in fact, 
I have to say, well, this is a very worthy need, but this, it's not my part to fulfill it. But this is going to be someone else's role to do that. Jesus says in Luke 14, 28, he says, if you're going to build a tower, make sure you've got enough money before you begin. Otherwise, you won't finish it and it'll end up being a bit foolish. So we have found our, our role in the city, in this area. You're invited to help us if you can. You can help us by talking with Jane and maybe becoming part of her team. Uh, you, maybe you can uh, befriend some of our clients. You can give to the, the work of CAP through this. Or in fact, you can give directly to this church to help us run our center. Because it costs us many, many thousands of pounds a year just to run our local bit of it. But whatever your part is, I just encourage you to play it. Think about that young lad. I wonder if there is a starfish in your hand or not. If there isn't, it's time for you to go and find one. And make all the difference in the world for them. Let's stand to our feet.